dive into another episode of Seize the Movement. Be inspired by other conservationists to take that next step on your conservation journey. My name is Jo, and in this episode, I am chatting with an ex-colleague whose passion, energy, knowledge, and commitment to recycling always inspired me. Jess is a recycling queen. Her system to capture different recycling streams highlights the power of the ripple effect, inspiring others to make small recycling actions too. So let's not waste time, but enhance Jess's ripple effect with her story. What initially inspired you to care for the environment? Uh, well, I don't think there was like any actual pivotal moment in my life. I, I find a lot of people do have this amazing memory. I, I've certainly got a lot of amazing memories, mostly sort of to do with the ocean, because um, my dad likes to dive. So um, my parents used to bring us on a lot of sort of like beach holidays, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, namely like traveling up to Port Douglas and going out to the reef from there and going overseas to Fiji, which was an amazing experience. Where did you learn to dive? So I learned to dive whilst I was at school um, growing up in Noosa. Um, there's a little reef off there, um, which has this like amazing diversity of life that you would never expect. And I mean, there's like whales swimming past you. <laughs> like, yeah. So if you did that at school, how old were you when you did your dive course? I think I was 15. Oh wow, so that was part of school? Yeah, so they had um, a marine studies course that you could do in grade 11 and 12. And then you continued on with that marine kind of love into university and you studied a marine degree in Queensland, at University of Queensland. Yeah. And did you have to specialise in anything in that degree? or in your honours you were talking about? Uh, so I really, I actually did a Bachelor of Business Management majoring in sustainability and a Bachelor of Science majoring in marine science. Um, really enjoyed um, the science side of things. So I did go on to do my, my honours um, research um, where we looked at the habitat preferences of seahorses and pipefishes in Moreton Bay. Um, so that was an incredible experience and I got to actually get that hands-on research experience. And, and so with the Bachelor in the Sustainability, mm -hmm. that would have been, was that reasonably new at that point? Because for me, sustainability is quite a new... Yeah, it was. And I think it really gave me an advantage over like my, my science sort of like university mates because um, it kind of opened my eyes to like society and like the economy, not just, you know, having, like, looking at the environment all the time. Yeah. So you could kind of blend those. not just the marine science of studying, yeah. you know, seahorses or pipefish or whitefish do what they do, but yeah. linking that with human impacts as such and melding those two together. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a really memorable point in one of those sustainability courses that I did. And they had three circles all within one another. So the, the smallest one was the economy. And they were saying the economy can't exist without society. So that was the next circle around economy. And then the next one was those two can't ex exist without the environment, mm, yeah. uh, which was really like powerful. Because, you know, we sometimes we get so fix fixated on the economy and society that you do forget about the environment but then you can't forget about the other society and the economy. They're all interlinked. So it's about finding that balance between them all. And so did that then guide your next step after university? So once you finished your honours, what was your next kind of career progression? 
Uh, I was a little bit all over the place. Um, so I did aspire to sort of get back closer to the reef um, because I had actually worked there as a, as a tour, snorkel tour guide, um, which was an incredible experience being in the water every day and seeing people's faces, seeing the reef for the first time. Was, yeah. Everyone's just so amped. It's like such a great feeling and I know exactly like how they're feeling. And, and so did you do that off Port Douglas or? Uh, so I was a snorkel guide in the Whitsundays. Living there was amazing and I, every morning before work I'd go out for a snorkel if I could. Mm. Where can you snorkel or just off Airlie or were you on one of the islands? I was on Hamilton Island, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, you know, quite built up, but you'd be amazed like of the life just off the beach there. Yeah. Like in one snorkel, you'd see like 30 plus turtles. Mm. And it's kind of one of those things where if you don't put your head in the water, like you can't see it. So you don't actually know what's, what's right on your doorstep sometimes. Yeah. So one of the reasons I was interested in chatting to you is because through work, um, you're very uh, passionate and very knowledgeable in the Green Office Committee in terms of what you suggest. And you're also the most regular contributor to the Green Corner in the fortnightly newsletter, Um, which I think is great because even though we're working in a marine agency, there's not necessarily a lot of knowledge in that space. Um, So what are you actively doing at home um, or in your own personal life, you know, to, I guess, decrease your environmental footprint or that's going to help the environment? Well, I have probably a million different projects (laughs) running. Perfect, this is a lot. Some unfinished, um, some not even begun. The one I'm thinking of that is unfinished is my intricate bin system. Um, I've been known as the crazy bin lady because yes, it is quite intricate. It has like eight different kinds of bins. And this is all for recycling. Yeah, so obviously you have like your normal waste bin and that should be sort of the last resort. You want to avoid putting anything in there. Um, And it is one of my smallest bins. Um, it's probably only the size of like a mushroom bag because that's yeah. what I use to actually line the bin itself. Are your bins scaled in size for what you expect, how much you expect to recycle of each item? Yeah, it's, this is what I mean by being an unfinished project. <laughs> so I, I didn't expect the recycling to be as much, just the general recycling to be as much as I thought it would be. So I, I probably need a bigger bin there. Um, I need to rethink my soft plastics recycling bin. It is like just a sort of rigid bin and I think it would be better if if I was stuffing it in like a bag to contain it and then I can just swing it over my shoulder when I pop to the shops for a grocery shop and pop it in the recycling bins and Woolies or Coles. I use one of the green waste bags for my soft plastics, but as soon as I get a bread bag or something, then that becomes kind of my stuffer. So you've got a general recycling bin, your waste, soft plastics. What other bins in there in your intricate bin system? Okay, uh, so I also have a um, like kind of like a container, but it's cute looking, like a little ceramic one. But I put all my steel caps in and then um, when I f- have a steel can, I'll shove those all in and put it in my recycling because if the, the steel bits are too small, they won't get recycled. At some recycling facilities, obviously, they're different across the whole state. Yeah. Um, there's actually a really cool app that you can use 
to help yeah. you and it will look at your local government area and, and pick and show you like the recycling rules which is handy which what's the app name <laughs> forgotten the name <laughs> but yeah search in the app store um i'm sure you, anyone could find it um i've also got a sort of like an aluminium uh, lids bin but I also put scraps of clean foil in and then um, once I've got enough I'll wrap the foil and the lids all together and it's sort of like a small fist size um, shape again which I'll put in my recycling bin and then it ensures that it gets recycled properly. I've got a plastics lids container yeah, yeah and you can just sh shove those all in like a milk bottle once you've got enough and again put it in a recycling bin. I've got a electronics bin so at Officeworks, you can actually bring things like old phone chargers that may have frayed, um, old mobile phones, computer parts, and put that in their recycling bins there that they offer. Same goes for batteries. I have a batteries bin. <laughs> I have a stationary bin. Again, Officeworks will take those product, old products and, and recycle them. Um, I've started a... This one is... It, I used to use face wash a lot and have like those plastic tubes and you can't recycle those so you actually have to box them up and send them off to TerraCycle to get those recycled. You do have to pay for the postage though so that might be sort of like a barrier to people. Um, one of my schools is collecting toothpaste tubes. Again, I'm collecting those and dropping those off to the school. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, so there's lots of different things that all require a completely different way to recycle them. Yeah, and like I don't have a family, like I've got my partner and my two dogs, so I do obviously have a bit of extra time at my sleeve and I understand that some an individual may not necessarily have the time to be sort of managing all those different waste streams. So, you know, even if you someone was to consider just setting up, you know, they've got their general waste, their general recycling, and then maybe introduce a compost little caddy, which then you put into your compost bin outside or your worm farm outside. So you think kind of general recycling is the easiest way okay. to start? Yeah, I'd be astounded if someone didn't... Look, actually, I, I know my sister just recently told me that she didn't have a recycling bin, but she's just putting it beside her general waste bin to put in the recycling bin. Yeah, and I think, um, I know in Townsville, there's a lot of skepticism about whether they're actually recycling the recyclables, but that's more because they interchange their trucks and obviously yeah. some of their trucks have recycling on the outside and yeah. some of them don't. And so sometimes a recycling truck is picking up the waste or the waste truck's picking up recycling, but it's not necessarily that it's not being recycled. It's just that they're intermingling. Yeah, um, and don't let one incident you know, or rumours, you know, stop you from doing a, a thing that actually has a really amazing impact. Yeah. I also kind of think I'd much rather do it and go to the wrong place than not do it at all because then, you know, yeah, I agree. I'm trying to do the right thing within my own life and yeah. hopefully I can feel Have a little, a little bit good more faith it. in the system. I, yeah, we're all trying to create a better planet, so. And is there something that you were shocked could be recycled that you don't think many people would know about? I know you brought up textiles uh, in a recent email, but there might be something else that, you know, something that people throw away all the time that's like actually 
really easy to have recycled or soft plastics maybe. The foil thing, um, I only found out that it, sort of in the last few years, like foil being able to be recycled as assuming it's in a big enough ball and assuming it's not contaminated with like too much grease and things. That, that was something new to me. Um, particularly, I found it out from a, just a random Facebook post um, and it was about Easter and collecting all those foil wrappers that go around the eggs and putting them all, scrunching them all up in a ball. Did your recycling habits, did that come from your sustainability course or that was just from general knowledge and just want, you know, we used to recycle when I was growing up as a kid? Well, we definitely always recycled in my my house and my, with my family, but we've never gone to obviously the extent that I have. It's just something that's happened progressively. So as sort of I've, I've learned more and just thought about, you know, it's just common sense to live sustainably. So I guess with all those streams, as you said, your waste bin's really small. You must almost be living like a plastic free lifestyle. Kinda, yeah. I, I'm definitely not perfect still. Um, you know, sometimes I might get the odd tie takeaway and then suddenly I have all these plastic containers, which is a bit upsetting, but yeah, you can't beat yourself up for, you know, every little thing that's not environmentally friendly. You've got to give yourself a bit of slack, otherwise you're going to lose motivation. Yeah, very true. In just with that project, have you had any major setbacks? Um, so I guess it's important like when you are sort of trying to take on an environmentally friendly initiative to make sure that it works for everyone else, let's say in your family. So that bin system, I need to label it better because people are very confused as to what like bins they should be putting things in and make sure it's like in big writing because yeah, people aren't going to do things unless it's easy. Do you have any of your other projects that you'd like to <laughs> share or anything else besides recycling that you, you know, there's so many ways that people can help the environment, you know, in small things, whether it's like a, you know, walking to work or a, their diet, anything. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of little things. So um, one project that I was successful was, was just looking at my face wash tube, plastic tubes and going, oh my goodness. Like either I just need to stop using this altogether, which was a no-no for me. I couldn't just refuse it outright. I could make it, but I don't necessarily have the time. But I, so I was able to find a face wash, wash, um, wash that they sell in a, a glass jar. Uh, and it's only got like six ingredients in it, like coconut soap and clay, because I really like the exfoliating kind of face washes. <laughs> I've just changed my deodorant. So it's in like a little aluminium can. Oh, yeah, um, just right. changed my razor as well. Yeah. So the next After one I was, yeah. yeah. It's just focusing it one at a time and then you're like, tick, that's done, tick, that's done. And I yeah. think as soon as with the deodorant, I'd looked at them a few times, but never really made the purchase. Yeah. Cause I actually thought they were quite expensive, but looking at how, you know, in the shampoo bar, you know, one shampoo bar lasts me six months. I don't know how many bottles of shampoo I would have bought in that six month period, but now one shampoo bar is like, wow, that's, you know, it's the same with the deodorant. I'm barely making a dint in the tin yeah. and yet I've had it for, 
you know, a month now and I'm just... And you tend to find with those sort of plastic-free products as well, they're often a lot better for you, like your health as well. They've got much better ingredients, which, yeah, not bene only benefits you, but also, you know, that's all washing down the drain as well. So impacting on water quality. Again, double tick, doing well. <laughs> you can even get um, those shampoo um, baths for dogs now. Oh. Have you seen them? <laughs> No, but I don't have a dog, so I haven't ah. needed to, to look that, to that level yet. But well, I'm also a crazy dog lady. So, <laughs> so how do you maintain your, um, let's say, your motivation or your inspiration to, you know, continue with these actions? Sometimes it's hard to see the effect that it has as well. So sometimes you might need to remind yourself of what you're, you know, what you're taking these actions for. I feel pretty solid, like. I'm pretty happy like that everything I'm doing is making like at least a little little difference um, to sort of I guess a source of inspiration for me would be Facebook <laughs> I've joined a lot of sustainability groups on there and sometimes there's like things that just go around in my head so I I'd seen sort of in some of the threads that people talking about that they re um, not recycle they compost their vacuum dust and I was like I can't believe people compost their vacuum dust. Like I get most of it, you know, it might be fur and hair and skin cells, but there's also like microfibers, micro like plastic fibers that could be put in there and contaminating your compost. And so then I just was like, All right, I'm just gonna post on the page and see how many people are doing it. And it turns out most people actually weren't com composting them. So it's a nice place to kind of keep yourself sane. So get like stay informed, stay educated, but also have that sort of space where you can engage with like like-minded people. And do you remember any of the names of those groups off the top of your head? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> Again, I don't. <laughs> it's a simple search though, like Sustainability Australia, and find a Facebook group, not a Facebook page, because the pages are sort of more of a, you know. It's from one singular person, whilst the groups allow people to actually, everyone to post in that space and everyone to ask questions and make comments and things. Everyone's like really like supportive and understanding as well. And I think it's probably a way to not feel alone in the space as well. Like exactly. I live alone as well and I'm just yep. doing my thing. Um, exactly. And sometimes you know, the people at work don't necessarily have the same practices as you, even though they're just as well informed as you are. Yeah. And so probably having those groups is a good way to actually feel like you're part of a collective of people as opposed to a solo person against big corporate <laughs> companies. Keeping in mind that at the same time, you've got to keep yourself in check with reality. Sometimes I do get really caught up and I'm following like a lot of like, environmental pages and you know, ocean pages and things and you start to kind of might go down that sort of road of like that group think but yeah keeping it sort of like check on reality and going is this action like really possible for like a mum with three kids and I remember um, I was living in Indonesia following a lot of shark interest groups and I was like oh there's so much movement on this shark finning yeah and then I just realized it was purely me it's because exactly. of everything I followed and nobody yeah. else was 
you know, knew it was happening, knew all the, you know, the lobbying campaigns that were happening. It was just because of all the groups that I'd liked yeah. and my whole pay. And so I kind of felt like I was part of this big major movement and I wasn't at all. I was part of such a tiny m minority and I realized that yeah. there's still 95% of the people and my friends who knew nothing about anything that I thought everyone knew about because that was all I ever saw on yeah. my Facebook feed. So I do try to avoid sort of preaching to the converted sometimes. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll try and go outside those spaces and help others and try and educate them and inspire them. And what tactics do you use for that? Because that's really the main goal. Like, <laughs> you know, we do preach to the converted, you know, especially yeah. in our line of work. You know, so how do you reach outside that? Do you have any... Um, well, first of all, don't ever try and guilt people because I see that a lot as people using that tactic and it's not effective. So go down that line of sort of more inspirational. Find that connection with that, that particular personal group that you're trying to engage with. Inspire. Do mention that there is, you know, an urgency to address an issue but offer the solutions, you know, spell it out how we can do it and try and do it like an easy, easy way. Because again, can't stress that enough. People are so time poor these days if it's not easy. The guilt thing that you mentioned, because I was reading a book last night about shame and how we shame people as yeah. a tactic to do something. And I've definitely seen that in a lot of, I'm going to say vegan activist things where they kind of shame you. One of the exact examples I had in, in my mind of mm. like, people trying to stop people from eating chickens or eggs. It was eggs and they were showing little baby chickens going down a conveyor belt into a grinder. Yeah. And I'm like, that is just gonna make people shut their eyes and say, I don't wanna see that. And like, let alone, they're not even gonna begin to try and make a change there. Yeah. Also at work, you shared a story about your engagement, so congratulations <laughs> on that. And are you happy to share yeah. that story? <laughs> yeah, my partner's been really supportive of all my environmental initiatives. I think that's really important to be sort of successful, is have the, the support of your family and friends, even if they're not necessarily environmentally friendly themselves. Um, so yeah, we've been together nearly five years and he proposed to me on the beach last year in October, was he? August? <laughs> I should know, I'm the... <laughs> anyway, he's marked it in our calendar. <laughs> uh, um, and it was really beautiful. Like, he, kn he knows we don't really like big, big elaborate things. So he just set up this beautiful picnic and we had our dogs there and his sisters helped out with it all. And yeah, the ring was just amazing how much thought he'd, he'd put into it. Um, it was made from recycled metals and diamonds and ethically sourced um, sapphire um, which is just gorgeous I'll start crying in a second <laughs> <laughs> and so did your partner always have that sustainability mindset or is that something that's come about you know because of his relationship with you he, he's he's very ethical um, he's a paramedic so he's making such an amazing impact or impact on society already um, he would never do anything. He, he does love the environment, but yeah, he, I don't think he was doing things like having 10 different bins set up in his home and 
but I guess as you said, you've kind of made it easy in a way because you've set it up yeah. for him, or not for him as such, but you've set it up and so then it's easier for him to recycle because yeah. he doesn't really have to think about it. He's been so supportive. Like we were collecting the containers for change, which obviously improves um, recycling rates um, as well as obviously raises money. We, we put all the proceeds to a animal group <laughs> that we collect. But he set up a bin, at, he noticed at bin, um, his his station that they didn't have a recycling bin. So he set that up to at least capture some of that waste stream. So he's even implemented it at his yeah, work. Which is amazing, like he didn't need to, but yeah, I guess it shows the impact that you can have on people close to you and it sort of has that sort of ripple effect further and further. And I've seen like his family have like embrace some of my ideas, which is really great to see. Um, very, yeah, very proud of them. <laughs> and then, and you don't know what his, you know, the bin at work, how that's gone out maybe and influenced other people within his workspace yeah. either. So that amazing, beautiful ripple effect. I just love it. And it doesn't have to, you know, I guess with the containers for change, it's such a good initiative because people get something back from it. You know, I mean, yeah. you're being very generous and donating it to a charity, but for others, you know, that's, a meal out a week or something once they've, you know, it's depending on how incentive. much. Yeah, it's a great incentive um, when you're sort of making money. I guess it's an effective tactic, I yeah. guess, to help people yeah. well, <laughs> help the environment as well as helping themselves at the same time because they are taking the time to, to collect those containers. So. I guess just going back to the recycling a little bit, <laughs> only because, you know, I guess you know, we can recycle and it's great that people are making park benches out of soft plastics and prosthetics for kids out of lids. Um, yeah. But ideally the end goal is to probably not have the packaging to begin with. Yes. Um, so really, rather than getting fixated on the recycling bit, you should be sort of trying to refocus and look at the refusing part. So do you really need this that should be like the question that you ask yourself every time you go to buy something do i need this if you do need it can i get it maybe second hand or could i repurpose something in the in the house and do you do that at all in your thinking space all the time it's just getting into the habit of doing it so you, you know you pick up something on the shelf in the shops and you go do i need this if i do you know is it good for the environment if it's not then yeah, just try and find an alternative if you can. And then, you know, let's say you do get it and it's like a soft plastics, like, you know, it's really, I find the shops here often don't do baby spinach. And I love baby spinach so much. They're always in plastic bags. Yeah, so, and I'm really big on my cooking. And in that case, I, I can convince myself that I need it. Uh, and then, yeah, you, the last resort then is, I guess, getting it and then recycling that through the soft plastics. And do you have any next projects or steps in your journey, in your environmental journey? Or are you quite happy at the moment? You know, you're already doing a fair bit. Yeah, I'm just plodding along, just like ticking things off slowly, just taking it slowly, one little step at a time. That's sort of how everyone should do it. You don't want to bite off too much, otherwise, yeah, you won't be successful in trying to do it. Thanks for listening to Jess's story and how she sees the movement. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on the platform you are listening via so that others may hit play to seize the movement too.